Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Welcome to My Ultimate Year. I'm Zach. I'm one of the two hosts of the show. If you've listened to My Marvelous Year, you have an idea of what our sound quality generally is like. It's about what you're hearing right now. Dave and I usually record on our own setups, on our own microphones. I was actually visiting Dave out in Chicago for My Ultimate Year, our first episode. So the sound quality, unfortunately, for our inaugural episode, it's fine. It's totally listenable. I think it's okay. Um, But it's not quite up to snuff for what we're normally at. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, this isn't isn't so hot, uh, some patience. Our second episode, it picks right back up to about what you're hearing now. So thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to My Ultimate Year. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com, and I am joined today in studio for the first time ever by Zach Dean. How's it going, Zach? Hey, Dave. This is so weird Our and so wild. closer than they've ever been. Our cheeks are touching for the entire <laughs> recording. That's right. Zach is usually on the East Coast. I am usually in the Midwest. Today... We are in the same route for this very special episode. This is the launch of My Ultimate Year, our read-along podcast reading club through Marvel's Ultimate Universe. The Ultimate Universe ran from the year 2000 to 2015, dot, dot, dot. Could it come back? Has it already come back? Some people are asking. Some people are asking these questions. Um, But we're going to talk the Ultimate Universe. We're going to read every single issue that ever came out in the Ultimate Universe today on episode number one. We're going to talk about Ultimate Spider-Man, number one to seven, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, number one to eight, and Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra, number one to number four. So let's say, let's talk about the biggest differences between this and our My Marvelous Year show. Yeah. Um, so first off, like you said, we're going to read every comic in the Ultimate lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to release this monthly, so hopefully if you're reading also along with our My Marvelous, My Marvelous Year Club, you'll be able to slot this in nicely because it's only about... Roughly 20, somewhere between 20, 25 issues per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go to them real quick. I read all 20 of these in the last, I don't know, last 12 hours pretty easily. Yeah, uh, they go down a lot quicker. <laughs> I think to that point, too, you know, there's, if you have concerns potentially about where you are in the My Marvelous Year Reading Club, because as the time of recording this, Zach and I are recording around 1978, right? We're still in the 70s and the Bronze Age. And now we're jumping forward to a universe that begins in 2000. If you have concerns about jumping ahead to modern comics, it's understandable. These are separate things, right? The Ultimate Universe is a refresh. It is a reboot of sorts. We're going to talk about that in detail here today and definitely over the next few episodes as we talk about the beginnings of the Ultimate Universe. But I would encourage you... To consider doing both in tandem, even if you're a little worried about spoilers for, like, the 80s and 90s. Yeah, well, okay, you know what? I've read, so I'm not as fresh to the, the Ultimate Comics as I was to My Marvelous Year, the the mainline Marvel mm-hmm. Comics. I think I've read probably two-thirds of the Ultimate line that I read, maybe half. Um, 
And most of this is stuff that we've already covered in my year up to mm-hmm. 1978. Mm-hmm. Like, there's very little that is riffing on stuff that didn't happen in the 70s. Like, a lot of this is the big stories of the 60s and 70s. And unless I'm wrong and they start dipping into the big 90s stuff at some point. Spider-Man does. Spider-Man And I think we'll call that out as we go. So there will be a point in Ultimate Spider-Man where if you're playing along with MMY and now MUY, or as we're calling it, Mewy. Mew. (laughs) Um, If you're playing along with both, there will be a stretch where it's like, oh, this is referencing Earth-616, which is the designation of Marvel's universe that started in 1963, Stan, Jack, and Steve, those comics, right? There will be stuff that's referencing. Anyway, all that is a long-winded way of saying it's not happening here. It's not happening yet. When we get there, we'll maybe do a little warning for like, hey, maybe spoilers for those of you who haven't yet read uh, X-Men in the 90s. And you'll get my take on it because it will be spoiling it for me so I can come and tell you, does this matter? Did Was I bothered to read this? Yeah, I think if anything, we'll just be like, it's referencing something. We're not going to spoil the thing it's referencing. Right? Because also sometimes these Ultimate Comics do retell a story that, you know, is some big twist in the mainline series, but it does it in a completely different way. Yeah. Right? right. So, like, there are big story beats from both universes, and they play out in entirely different ways, even if the end goal is the same. So, you know, I think you're pretty safe to read this. So we should talk just a tiny bit. The Ultimate line uh, specifically was launched as a new starting place for new readers in 2000. Right? That's right. Yeah. And it was created by Breichel. Breichel. Michael Bendis. <laughs> not, not a lot of people know that uh, superstar comics writer, Brian Michael, Michael Bendis, Michael Bendis. <laughs> originally named Brickle. Yeah, so it's Brian, <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Mark Bagley are on Ultimate Spider-Man with President of Marvel and our guy, Bill Jameis, one of the main uh, voices and sort of visions creating the Ultimate Universe. Now, the reason I say our guy Zach and I actually just released uh, on the Patreon, patreon.com slash this year, a bad comic special where we were forced against our will, <laughs> yeah. uh, actually really due to our own, uh, really due to the support of our listeners, uh, to read Marvel, which was written by Bill. It's the worst comic I've ever read. I Literally, not hyperbole, it is the worst comic I've ever read. <laughs> that said, Bill was the president of Marvel, and he was a big uh, proponent of this Ultimate Universe as a way to bring in a younger fresher 2000s marvel audience yeah and i think that is very successful like when i was trying to get into marvel comics at 18 these were the comics i were drawn was drawn to these are the comics that i read because i would try to dip into mainline mm-hmm. spider-man in what 2005 or so when i was doing this mm-hmm. and it would be a total mess and it was confusing to me and i didn't have that much context for it and marvel unlimited didn't exist so i couldn't like dip did it exist in 2005 Ah, yeah, 2007 or 8 is when it started, I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, couldn't go back, you know, try to read some more stuff. Comic Book Herald didn't exist. True. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a real wasteland out there, but Ultimate... Society without Comic Book Herald, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, sure. But the Ultimate line, like, really is a starting place. It is a refreshing of all these stories, so retelling all the origins, but with kind of modern comic... Like, the, the formal choices of, like, more modern comics, mm-hmm. more modern voices, trying to bring them up to, you know... You're going to see pretty similar characters, but sometimes they just tweak them. They, I feel like Spider-Man we're going to talk about is a very... Um, it's a very... What's the word? Uh, like, honorable... Not honorable. It's a very... Yeah, yeah. Like, on, it, on like the, it, it's uh, authentic in its efforts to 
reflect the original. Right. right? It's not trying to subvert Spider-Man in any big no. ways. We're going to get some of that. Though. We're going to talk like, about that. Late, later go. on, some of these heroes, they're going to take them and be like, yeah, it's Thor, but but not like you have always known him, right? And some I think they're really cool and yeah. some don't work. Uh, and I think that's, that's a really interesting um, way of looking at these. Um, I think in the early days of the Ultimate Universe, there's kind of two... There's two approaches that you're talking about there. One is the honoring the source material approach, but refreshing it for modern times. And the second is sort of like like you just said, subverting the source material and saying, what's the modern take on this that is sort of like, hey, we've learned a lot in four decades since Stan and Jack t- started these things and, and Steve. Like, let's what's this maybe a little more cynical approach? What's the more satirical approach? Um, and we're going to see that. I think, yeah. obviously, we're talking about the ultimate. I mean, it's going to be like, what if it's Captain America, but he doesn't cuss? What if Captain America... I'm frightened. But racism. Ooh, that, that <laughs> I don't need to see. Uh, yeah, so, no, it's like going to start asking some of those questions. I mean, I think, too, as we go, like, this starts in 2000 and then very quickly is going to become a post-9-11 Marvel Universe. Oh, yes. You yes, know, yes. which is a huge change, obviously, just in terms of, like, these being an American, you know, based comic book publisher. It's going to mean a lot for the characters and the types of stories that they tell. But today, we are starting with, uh, again, like, comics that came out. The ultimate first Ultimate Spider-Man issues are what kicked off the universe. And then we're going to talk about some odd ducks. The Ultimate Marvel Team-Up series kind of came in the wake of, of USM, like, 2000s, 2001. And then we're actually going to throw in Ultimate Daredevil and Electra, which didn't come out until, like, 2002, 2003. So we're not going strict publication order release date. We are working off of the Comic Book Herald complete Ultimate Universe reading order, which you can find at comicbookherald.com. We'll include a Ooh. link in the Should show notes. You? Should I tell you when I uh, I made this list? I kind of cheated. Don't even co- say it. Okay. Don't, I don't even want to hear what you're about to say. <laughs> okay, no, I just... I invite you I into just, my home. I just used Comic Book Herald to write this list. Yeah. Oh, oh, can we just say... Oh, no. Guess who wrote this list? Yeah. This guy. All the credit to Zach. So if you're wondering what list I mean, you're talking about... Like 90% of it is based off you. I don't know why <laughs> I just list. gave you all the credit. I immediately regret all that. All the credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to find the list that Zach did compile conveniently into a share drive, uh, we will include a link in the show notes... It is available to everyone, I think. Uh, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. who's listening, right? So you can find that. You can find everything we're going to be reading moving forward as well as the issues in this episode. So you can either listen to us as we talk about them or you can play along yourself and read the series that are most interesting to you. One thing I will say here, like we say with My Marvelous Year, read the comics that sound most interesting to you. Don't feel like you have to read everything. That said, the Ultimate Universe is streamlined enough that you could. And we're yeah. doing it on a monthly cadence. Uh, for those of you following along the Patreon, you know, as we release every month, um, you definitely could read yeah, all of this. Yeah, I think so. I yeah, think that's why the Ultimate Universe is so appealing. Yeah, it goes down very easy. Uh, that does bring up something. If you are hearing this on our Patreon account, thank you very much. Um, this is a Patreon exclusive for... We're going to keep these exclusive to Patreon for six months. So if you're hearing this in the public feed, that means that there are six more episodes waiting mm-hmm. for you behind the Patreon. Um if you if you're interested, you can go in, drop us five bucks, download those episodes, and drop your backing. Totally fine. 
but we do appreciate all of the support that we we get yeah and we should mention too the reason we've even launched this is due to patreon support in hitting a goal of the my marvelous universe club so thank you to everyone who has made that possible whether yes. it be via yes. financial support and and you know funding zach and myself's efforts to get these podcasts out in the world as well as just for our time um or those of you who have left a review on itunes or just supported us sharing the content or even, frankly, like just a note saying you like what we're doing uh, oh, goes yeah. a long way. I love this. Right? Yeah. goes yeah, a yeah. long, long way. Okay. So, Zach, Ultimate Universe, we're talking about the beginnings. With these episodes, we're going to try and do some big questions. Each of us is going to bring one big question to the table that we want to look at as we go through the episodes. My question is, does the Ultimate Universe reboot hold up 20 years later? Okay, okay. And my question is... Why did they choose who they chose to boot? The creators? Boot up? No, no. Not the creators. Why did they choose which heroes they did choose okay. to start the Ultimate Marvel Universe? Yeah. So yeah. you might actually need to open up Wikipedia for this. Because uh, I didn't. I did not know. Probably Dare, I did not. not know Daredevil and Electro. <laughs> yeah, okay. I didn't know Daredevil and Electro were not like pretty quick out the door. Um, what do you so mean? What were the launch titles for the Ultimate? So Ultimate Spider-Man comes first. Right. I know that was like the... The launch title. Yeah. And uh, in my head, Ultimate X-Men comes next. All right. So we might as well just go with that. Don't even look. Just a second. (laughs) Uh, Ultimate Marvel team-up release dates are going to be slightly closer as well. But why don't you pull up the actual Biblio while I talk here. So the first series we're going to talk about. Okay, you want to hear? As Zach pulls up the release dates, which he already did. Um, Oh, weird. What he's looking at is weird, oh, everybody. This is oh, great weird. audio, baby. Oh, weird. <laughs> okay. Um, 2000, Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is so strange. Hey, go back to the wiki. Okay. I'm looking at pictures of <laughs> glasses duck, of milk. Duck penises. Uh, oh. Okay, so uh, the order of release of these series is Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, Ultimate X-Men, The Ultimates, yeah. Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra, uh, a little mini event. And then, three years after, four years after it starts in 2004, Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah, so th- which I, is wild. I think the, the four main series of the Ultimate Universe are Spider-Man, X-Men, um, Fantastic Four, and the Ultimates to a slightly lesser degree. The Ultimates kind of comes in like a series of six, but they're a real consistent player throughout. No, I would say they X- are way more important they're, than they're Fantastic big, Four. Yeah, well, they're... they're in like, the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, yeah. They're like big players, and they're like big universe players but less frequent but yeah spider-man fantastic four and x-men are the like they get consistent series that run into the hundreds the long ongoing ultimates yeah. are like we get ultimates one through six and then we get ultimates two one through six and then we get whatever like continuing yeah. like jumping series to series they never get more than like 12 issues where spider-man is going to go into the hundreds x-men is going to go into the hundreds yes so why did they choose i mean i get spider-man makes perfect sense everyone loves spider-man he like retelling his story makes a ton of sense to me yeah um most popular marvel hero yeah yeah Uh, are you googling when sam raimi spider-man was big sure am because that movie came out in 2002 yep Yep, so we're actually two years away from sam raimi spidey hitting the big screen as well x-men i think came out in 2000 Mm -hmm. if i'm not wrong so like spider-man and x-men make a ton of sense right i mean x-men is enormous they're the two biggest properties especially coming out of the 90s they have the movies are the first to hit their comics are the biggest it makes sense to launch a universe with them ultimate marvel team up isn't again 
it's really a Marvel Universe book. We're going to talk about what kind of an odd duck it is, I think, once yeah. we get into it specifically. But that one kind of makes sense because it's like Spider-Man and Friends, at least ostensibly. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. And then Fantastic Four is the weirdest, is not the weirdest, but the boldest choice to yeah. not launch your universe with that because that is the how the family. actual Marvel yeah. Universe started, right? Yeah. So 1962, mm-hmm. as we covered, maybe 1961, right? There's some debate, release date versus publication, calendar date, whatever. Yeah. Fantastic Four number one is the first Marvel Universe comic by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And then you don't get, you know, it's a little bit later, the Amazing Fantasy number 15 comes out with Stan and Steve. So they delayed Fantastic Four for a good long while. Yeah. To the point that actually the chronology and continuity of the Ultimate Universe is weird. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. Ultimate Marvel team up number nine is a Spider-Man and Fantastic Four team up issue. But then the Fantastic Four get rebooted like two years later in Fanta- Ultimate Fantastic Four number one, and it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, well, here's something else we can talk about. A lot of these early comics don't actually get like pulled into the continuity or a canon for the Ultimate. So Marvel Ultimate team up. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no way that these like are these feel like they could be straight out of the mainline Marvel. Right? Yeah, they don't feel yeah. like they're part of the Ultimate. They just kind of feel like here's a little Spidey Punisher story. It doesn't have to do with anything, like, you'll never see references to these in it's the a, main... It's a test run for bringing these characters into the actual Ultimate Universe. I honestly don't know why they exist, because it's like, they could have just... Because they didn't know what this line was. Right, they could have yeah. just rebooted Marvel Team Up, period. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be Ultimate Marvel Team Up. So the, these are weird outliers, I don't think... It does have Ultimate Spider-Man in these issues, though. Yeah, it's I guess... clearly I guess the Ultimate Peter That's Parker. true, because he is a teenager. Yeah. But you could have just called this, like, Teenage Marvel Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it would have made just as much sense to, you know, whatever. Um, but then, like, we're going to have Daredevil and Elektra. Dare- I mean, Daredevil barely is in the ultimate. That- that's another weird thing. This is 15 years of comics. There are characters here who are going to be neglected the entire time. Yeah. We, in the next two weeks, or the next two episodes, we will read more than half of Daredevil's appearances for the next 15 years. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. There's never an ultimate Daredevil ongoing. He has 16 comics, per- 16 appearances, yeah. period. And we're reading five of them this time. And then we're reading like another five or six next time. You know, one thing I think will be interesting as we go through the Ultimate Universe in its entirety is why are some of the characters that we know and love left out of Black, the Ultimate Black Universe? Panther. Black Panther doesn't get I, an ongoing. Three. Daredevil doesn't get an ongoing. I think Black Panther gets three issues. That's crazy. In the entire thing. Like, that yeah. is genuinely I'm, I'm pretty, I'm hard pretty to sure explain. That's right. It's either that or, like, 12, but it's, it's very low. Yeah, yeah. Mixing them up. My early hypothesis, just as we ask this out loud, is those books were good in the main line. Like, those characters were in a <laughs> yeah. good place in Earth 616, and there felt like less of a need to, to recontextualize them yeah, in sure. an Ultimate Universe. So, like, you have Brian Michael Bendis, this creator, who we're going to talk about a ton today. Like, really, this is a very Bendis-focused set of reading everything we read is him right uh All daredevil and is not that's written by greg Rekka. oh you're right yes 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 so but otherwise brian michael bendis is the creator who comes onto the scene here he writes the first he writes ultimate spider-man forever mm-hmm. yeah. he writes ultimate marvel team up as well he is the creative voice in the creative vision he's also not a known creator at this point in time so like up to the year 2000 brian michael bendis did some indie works. He had published some things at Image Comics. A lot of it's like hard-nosed crime noir stuff, mm-hmm. like Jinx and Goldfish. Um, those read very much like another creation of his that's coming soon, a.k.a. Jessica Jones. I, I can't. I cannot imagine him writing hard-nosed crime books. Based like, on your Ultimate Spider-Man experience, right? Based on this and Marvel Team-Up, him trying to write, like, gritty dialogue. Well, his... Sounds- 
So Ultimate Marvel Team Up Six and Eight are a Punisher. Yeah, and I think. Did you feel like that didn't play well? No, I didn't think it worked at all. It felt like, hmm. you know, it, it felt like uh, Joss Whedon trying to write The Wire to me. It okay, just felt like... that's a weird. <laughs> that's an interesting comparison. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think Joss Whedon is a very close analog for him for Bendis. Yeah, yeah, I, cheeky I got... humor. Yeah, fast paced dialogue. Yeah, I mean, um, he seems way into dialogue. That mm-hmm. like really seems like he likes dialogue and like storytelling, bread and butter, like yeah. really basic. Like, foundational, simple but it works storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, you know, yeah, patter between his characters. And that patter felt, like, so goofy and out of place for those Punisher episodes. Have, uh, you, read a, have you read a Bendis comic before? I don't know if I have besides this. Like, because I've read these before. You've read some Ultimate Spider-Man before. I've read, like, 90 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. How much of the Ultimate Universe have you done before this? Okay, let me, let's pause for a second. Sure. Uh, I think I read... I read past Ultimatum. Okay, so you've read a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've definitely read, like, 70 issues of all the mainline series, something. Like. The reason I ask is Bendis' style yeah, is, yeah. especially if you're coming in from the My Marvelous Universe Club, Yeah. Hey, we're jumping into, okay, here's 2000 style, and Bendis' style is going to define not only the Ultimate Marvel Universe, but a lot of what's going on in 616 as yeah. well. And yeah, yeah. I keep saying this number, I haven't explained it yet. Earth 616 is the multiversal Earth designation for what we would consider mainstream, mainline, mainline, mainline regular, yeah. all the comics we know going back to 1963. Because Marvel has a thousand little, you know, spin-off universes. Yeah. But 616 is the one, and then Ultimate Universes. It's Earth 1610 uh-huh. is the Ultimate U. And all this is kind of like, it's kind of just like a dig at DC, because DC has 52 designated Earths, yeah. uh, and their mainline Earth is Earth 1. Or Earth Zero? Is it Earth One? Isn't Earth One the one with all the villains? No, that's Earth Three. Because Three's the, I those three's the number of the bad guy. Yeah, anyway, we're not doing the DC <laughs> pod at the moment. That's why we're not prepped. Either way, that's explaining those numbers. I think what I was getting at with Bendis is he was known for different stuff. He was a really interesting, unique choice here. He hadn't done a lot of superhero stuff. Now, he did launch a series with Michael Avon Oming called Powers. Right, like, kind of in line with Ultimate Spider-Man. I think awesome technically powers. it comes out earlier. It very, yes. When you Google, when did Powers come out? Google does not recognize that uh, that you're looking for the comic, which is really good. Have you ever read Powers? No. Mm-mm. So Powers is him doing a, a Gotham Central-style police series in a world of superheroes that he has created. The first story arc is called Who Killed Retro Girl. It's kind of like... Uh, like police investigating who killed Supergirl kind of analog thing. Um, I read the first like 300 pages of the first collection last night, and I like I just actually didn't really want to put it down. I was just having a good time reading it. I think one thing Bendis is writing misses when he comes over to the Ultimate Universe, and you see this when he starts writing Jessica Jones in 616 eventually, is he can't cuss. <laughs> He's a good cusser, right? He's a good... Uh, he's good with, like, vulgar language, actually. Is he because the few times he sneaks it into Spider-Man? Because, you know, they use the, um... I think it just feels out of place. It in, does. In it, this it, context. It feels very, like, trying to make a teenage boy sound edgy. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I think he's actually good. somewhat skilled at that when he can do it without reservation. Sure. And okay. in Ultimate Spider-Man, he can't do it. Uh-huh. So that's when I, I think you see some of those moments where it's like, no, their gloves are on. In this one, yeah, um, there are some some handling going on. But anyway, he's an interesting choice, and he comes in, and whether you like him now or not, he has an 18 year career in Marvel, and he writes 
absolutely everything. His style has become he he's a parody of himself to a lot of people. Yeah, because the I've things that, we're reading yeah. in 2000, he's doing this. He was doing the same tricks at Marvel in 2017. A lot of that is just like repetition. Yeah. So it's quick pitter patter dialogue, but it's people being like the cops. Yeah, the cops that came by later. Wait, the cops? Yeah, yeah, the cops came by. Like he just keeps saying the same words, and you can see him trying to do a a David Mamet style voice. I think is a huge influence I, of his. I read that he like he's he's way into. He says his influencers like influences are David Mamet and Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I'm sorry, man. Like you're not you're you <laughs> you haven't quite hit that. And also, those are spoken right. Like the I I think like maybe he's not. He doesn't quite get that that doesn't translate perfectly to the written word. So do you because... do you dislike his approach to writing in comics? Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think he's pretty easy to read. I think he does this kind of thing. I think Joss Whedon is actually a pretty good comparison for me. Mm-hmm. Where like the character voices are all flattened a little bit. Where they all sound a little bit too much like each other. Yeah. Everyone has like kind of the same sense of humor. Yeah. Right? And everyone makes... Everyone has, like, from Aunt May to the police that are, like, standing around looking at a crime scene to the villains to the, you know, whatever. Like, high schoolers. Like, everybody kind of has the same sardonic sense of humor and, like, cheekiness to them. Which, just as soon as you, like, realize that, then it just, you see it everywhere. And it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I think that's a fair criticism i think that i think it works better in spider-man yeah than it will in some of the other books he's doing yeah um yeah, yeah. where that sense of humor sets a tone actually that is very amenable to the spider-man universe i'm fine it, if you, aunt may has the same sense of humor as peter parker sure. like that's okay to me uh-huh. uh same with J. jonah jameson or mary jane it's like they can all kind of have a little a little sarcastic humor to them because that's kind of that's kind of the tone that Amazing struck with Stan and Steve. I mean, you know what? Also, I think it is. I don't think he's that funny. I think like that is a big part of it. Is like, I don't know that I, it's laugh out loud funny very often. No, I, I think yeah. Like, I think that's probably my biggest issue with. Is Spider Man ever laugh out loud funny? I guess early J. Jonah Jameson gets us sometimes. J. 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 has made me laugh out loud quite a few times, mm-hmm. but no, like Spider Man banter, like is never like. Ha! Huh, it's that's... usually like kind of a bad dad joke. Yeah, but you appreciate it because. It's his nervous quipping defense mechanism. Right, yes. And yes, yes. it's just like, it's out of, they're never actually like great zingers. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know who does make great zingers. I mean, the thing gets a little bit more of that sometimes. But um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that's it. It's just like, oh yeah, it's a little, it's a little lame. That's it. It's not painfully bad, but it's also not like, I mean, it's not Marvel. Oh, but it's goodness. also not the unbeatable Squirrel Girl where you're just like, it's snappy and it's just like oh these are funny jokes and you just like feel that energy yeah. in it i mean you know part of it is this is almost 20 years old like banter between teenagers it's just going to sound stale like 20 years after so that was part of my question yeah. is like yeah. it, it is 20 years later yeah it, we're almost so we're recording this late 2019 we're almost hitting exactly like the 20th anniversary of these books the things that feel antiquated um some of the dialogue like when Peter Parker says, catch you on the flip mode. Oh, I that one. Like, there's some stuff like that that stands out. Uh, there's also like the opening pages are like an old, like what going online would have looked like, you yes, know, yes, in, yes, the, yeah. in the era. So there's some stylistic things that are a little outdated. Th- those I, didn't really bother me too much. No. That kind of stuff. It doesn't. 
bother me a ton so much as it just it was 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. like, I guess not everyone has a cell phone and social media isn't a thing. Well, is yeah, the of biggest course. difference. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know that you feel that weight, at least at this point, very no, much No, I, I don't. I mean, it's not like... So when we go back to comics from 1962, there are huge style differences that are painful to read, right? You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is the origin of the Fantastic Four, but there's also three stories packed into 22 pages. And yeah. it's just like, it's rushed, it's overpacked with dialogue. Like, yeah. As good as this is, it's underdeveloped, right? Like, there are interesting ideas here, but, like, it's not fun to read, like, from an outsider perspective. Like, if you're not interested in these characters and you're not, like, you don't find this charming, it's not just, like, enjoyable to read from a modern perspective. Mm-hmm. I think these are totally fine. I think these, like, flow really well. Are you talking specifically about Ultimate. seven issues of US? Yes, yeah. I guess I guess we can we can move on to, like... All right, so let's talk, let's talk Ultimate Spider-Man, first seven issues, because I think what you're saying is important here. These issues are, they're decompressed. Decompressed, that is... That Decompression is... comes into comics hard in the 2000s. Bendis is a big proponent of it. These seven issues tell one Damn and a half it. stories. I'm like, I'm really upset. I was like on the train over here and I was yeah. just like, man, what, what can I say about Spider-Man? And I was like, decompression. That's a really smart word. Did you, so just, think, did you just think of that to is describe that like... it without that being... That's like the comics craft term oh okay use. yeah no no that's what i was thinking i'm okay. impressed that that was the no. word that just came to mind thank you yeah, okay absolutely. well I, I didn't know that was like a thing yeah, yeah yeah people no people definitely use that one um but it's true right that's how they feel yeah yeah well because i mean we get everything that happened in amazing fantasy 15 mm-hmm. plus some plus quite a bit plus a chunk yeah. yeah plus a chunk but like we get all of amazing fantasy 15 which amazing fantasy 15 had his origin mm-hmm. the death of uncle ben Plus a story about the chameleon, right? The chameleon. We don't get to the chameleon until Spider Man number one. Spider Man number one, right? Yeah, that might because it's he does he saves the rocket. He saves John Jameson from the rocket, and then I think the chameleon. But whatever, in the the back half, it's not just the origin. It's the origin plus another story because, Mm -hmm. like, why not show his first adventure also in the back ten pages? Mm -hmm. This, like, you know, by the end of the first issue. The only thing you get is that he's sticking to a wall. Yeah. Right? He doesn't get his webs. He gets bit by the spider. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't get his webs until like five issues in. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get the costume until five issues in. Mm -hmm. Right? He doesn't see a villain until issue five or six. He's not Spider-Man crime fighter really until the end of the seven issues are done. Uncle Ben is alive for five issues. Right? I like, I love. That is great. That Uncle Ben's alive for five issues. Yeah. You get Ben's personality. It is very funny. It is very charming. You can see why he'd have the influence on Peter yes. that he does, yep. which is something you miss in the original 60s that comics. That they have to like retcon in later, right? Like, yeah. Through flashbacks and stuff. Like, we don't know anything about Uncle Ben in those issues other than he's he's Peter's father I mean, figure. Yeah, even in the original comics, he wasn't the one who told Peter with great power comes great responsibility. That was Stan Lee. Yeah, it was a narrative caption. Speaking from the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a narrative caption. Exactly. So in these comics, you get cool Uncle Ben. Yep. Long hair, hippie <laughs> Uncle Ben. Yeah. You get younger, slightly cooler Aunt May, for sure, right? And there are Peter's... sexy. Oh, Aunt not May. again. Zach, if you were into Earth 616 Aunt May... Oh, boy, you're oh, boy. Be. Are uh-huh. you ready? Yeah. Um, these ones feel... They feel very much uh, the template for... Uh, well, not very much, but in some ways the template for what Sam Raimi would adopt in Spider-Man Origins, I think, to a degree. Like, you get a little feel for who these characters are. You get a little feel for their influence on Peter's life. 
they're cool, they're understanding, they see him being bullied, but they're they're helping him without being overbearing, I think. Yeah. In a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah. Um these issues are so much more to do with Peter Parker pre powers being bullied as a high schooler. Yes. I think. Yes, yes. And and like you get so much characterization of him in high school. You get this mm-hmm. building up of relationships. So let's talk about some of the stuff that's new here, mm-hmm. right? Flash Thompson is way more of a bully. Right? I, I mean, he was always a bully. I, I don't know. Like, you think he comes across as more one here? Yeah, I mean, he you know he tries to fight him, which I don't... Did he ever do in the... Like an know? actual, like, hey, meet me after school type fight. Yeah, and like yeah, tries yeah. to beat him up. Um, he, I mean, <laughs> Peter Parker defends himself and Flash Thompson breaks his fingers... That's after Peter's gotten his powers, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Flash's family sues Peter Parker's yeah. family. Yeah, Right, so, like, he's not, like, an understandable, like... Because Peter Parker's kind of a jerk in those early issues of, uh, you know, the, the real... That holds in Ultimate as well, because Peter Parker gets his powers, and he's not, like, this uh, benevolent hero immediately. No. Which is very much, I think we talked about honoring the the originals kind of you know mentality that happens here with peter where in the original peter parker's kind of a jerk he gets his powers and he doesn't help stop a robber that robber goes on to ultimately kill uncle ben right and that's where we get the moral of the story well in ultimate spider-man he gets his powers and he's kind of like he kind of wants to lash out you know and he's still super angry this thing's happening you know it's like this you know enhanced puberty well he he keeps going to like he goes to the wrestlemania thing Mm -hmm. to make some money um, and then when Aunt, Be- Aunt Aunt May and Uncle Ben... Did you say Aunt Babe? I did. Subliminally? I accidentally said Aunt yeah. Babe, yeah. yeah. That's what I call her when it's just the two of us. Oh, okay. um, when, uh, when they, like, ask where he's been, you know, he flies off the handle mm. and starts yelling at them. So it's a lot of, like, he's dealing with the new powers, and then they're questioning, like, where he's been, because he's being secretive and staying yeah. out all night. And then he lashes out at them. Most of his lashing out happens at Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Right. Uh, including some, like really insane lines like really bad teenage writing <laughs> i think like do you think it's bad teenage writing or do you think teenagers are just no chaotic? i don't think he has a good voice for like teenagers being like snotty to their parents he sounds like so you don't think you don't think you can write teenagers here because that's a problem he's he's mostly writing teenagers. i think the teenagers talking to each other works okay mm-hmm. for me generally the way that he talks to aunt may and uncle ben seems kind of off like hmm. uncle ben is giving him the great like the great responsibility yeah. speech and he's like your father always lived by this code right and his father who's dead yes we don't know anything about and like peter parker ends up being like oh yeah if he was so great then where the hell is he <laughs> like and it's just like i didn't think that read that weird that read really cheese like oh yeah if he had such a code then why the hell did he get cancer like <laughs> runs out of the room like, yeah wait yeah it, it feels like an older guy writing the emotions of a teenager and not, like, like that's just so strange and, like, not something a teenager... Like, I feel teenager like really emotions like, are strange. I don't know. Like, th- that moment particularly, like, yeah, if my dad was so cool, then why the hell did he die? Like, yeah. it feels very stupid and, like, very TV-ish to me. Okay. That feels like TV writing where it's like, I learned that teenagers talk like this because I watched a lot of Dawson's Creek, <laughs> you know? Like, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I hear mean, what you're saying. Yeah. I think that, actually, I think this whole thing has that little, a little undercurrent of that. Like a TV pilot? Where, like, no, the, you kind of get this thing where, like, I don't know, this, this is getting into, like, media studies in a broader sense. But the idea of Hit writing me. that becomes, like, 
reflective of not how it's not reflective of observations of real human behavior but it's observations of other media reflecting on human behavior Hmm. and i feel like there's a touch of that here where like this pitter patter sounds a little bit more like it's very sitcom-y to me it's very buffy to me well that would be i feel that would be so much more of an influence on a writer in the 2000s than than it would have been in 1963 obviously yes absolutely but i mean you know what we saw in 1963 is the influence of radio serials Mm -hmm. right that's a huge thing like they talk like they are narrating a radio show i don't think that's super i don't think i don't see that as i guess you're not even saying it's a bad thing you're just saying it as an observation right i'm saying it falls apart sometimes when you're trying to have these like big serious moments yeah you know yeah and then it, it just strikes me as like a false chord where I'm just like, oh, okay, I don't because I get like, I understand that. I get like the idea some teenage writing is really good when it feels like mm. erratic and just like they're idiots, right? Like this isn't rational. It's just emotional and lashing out. This feels like lashing out in a specific way that feels very like. I think it's mostly, I do think these seven issues, they're not my favorite issues, the Ultimate Spider-Man run. Certainly it's getting us off the ground. It's it's recontextualizing Spider-Man for a modern audience, right? Like, that is the goal. Mm-hmm. And it's like basically like, all right, if we're going to retell this origin, that, again, everyone knows. Like, it's a pretty big undertaking. Yeah, sure. I think it's mostly pretty grounded. I think the things it does well, it, a few things, but I think it does it does the high school experience fairly well. Yeah. Which I think is important. Like, you feel Peter being bullied. You feel some of the anxiety and the awkwardness of him and Mary Jane. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if I feel that that's like that honest of an experience of bullying because the bullying is just like, hey, hey, Parker, you're a nerd. Yeah. Suck it, nerd. And it's just like, it feels like. Does it feel like a caricature? Yeah. Something? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't yeah. feel like mean, vicious bullying because this is a, you know, they don't want to get that dark, right? They don't want to get really dark. That's like fair. This. So it does feel like a little like. It's almost like, com- the, like the bullies are almost like a comedy duo. So you got Flash yeah, and this new yeah. character, Kong. Who Kong becomes like, quickly like one of the best characters in the run. Kong is good. I like yeah. Kong a lot more. Like Kong actually kind of fills the role of Flash in the original ones. Yes. Where Flash is like kind of it's because I like the Flash where him and Peter just kind of have a rivalry uh-huh. and they're throwing jabs at each other. Yeah. Because like Peter can kind of hold his own more right. or less. It's just like he's a little scrawny and that's what Flash makes fun of him for. But Flash right. sees him more as a rival, right? Like they want to date the same girls. They want to look cool in front of the same girls. That's right, kind of right. basically it. And then eventually they grow up and realize that, like, oh, we're being ch- children, right? Like, which I love. I love that, like, dynamic. And the real thing is that... Yeah, like, we've talked about this in, in my mom this year probably, but, like, the fact that Peter can go on to befriend Flash Thompson... Yeah. I feel like always speaks volumes to sort of the, the benevolence and the heroism that we ascribe to this type of protagonist because it feels so hard to believe for me. Yeah. It's so hard to buy in that you'd become pals with your bully you yeah. know like that is that i would just i feel like if i don't you know, maybe, hold that grudge i wouldn't blame you, you maybe know? i just didn't like i don't have that actual experience of seeing like real bullying at that level yeah I mean, like that that wasn't something i had that much experience with so just that kind of like it's comic art, book bullying I guess, yeah that? yeah exactly. i mean it is a comic book story but then flash, it is not... flash definitely just like flash does not come across as sympathetic kong does because kong like eventually is like kong yeah, is quickly very sympathetic like we make fun of peter parker but like we don't hate him right yeah. like yeah, he, yeah. he definitely has that like it's fun to like throw french fries at him well peter like, also becomes pretty cool pretty quickly yeah and because kong, once he gets his powers that, he yeah. joins the basketball team and uh they win 110 to 24 <laughs> yeah right <laughs> 
in his only game, which is astonishing. I love that uh, when Kong shoots a basketball, he says, Kong. How dare you? Here's the thing. All right. <laughs> I got excited reading the first issue. You I thought idiot. King Kong was yelling Kong at his own shot. Turns out it was the coach. The, co- the coach might be the biggest caricature in this story. The coach is bullying Parker. Yes. In yes. The teacher. Good grief. That's a that's a very early 2000s character of a gym coach. God, I love that that guy like If somebody you. on the comic book Herald Facebook <laughs> called me out for the wrong the joke. Useless. I stand by the joke. It was a good joke. <laughs> Such a waste of time. Anyway, that's um, neither here nor there. Let's talk about... Do you need to take a break? What, uh, I have to pee in a second, but okay, I need well, to finish talking about Flash Thompson. Let's talk about Flash Thompson. Because, yeah, I think he's nasty <laughs> in this. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I don't know. I'm not really sure what they're doing with this, but, like, Peter's at a park. Peter's at a park. Peter is at a party. Yes. Um, or a parker, as he calls it. Yes. Um, and uh, Liz Allen is, like, flirting with him a little drunk. And right. Flash Thompson's just like, look at Liz, such a slut. Yeah. And then it never gets called out anymore, and it's just like... It's very harsh language for a yeah, Marvel a, comic? Yeah. Brian Michael Bendis likes to toss that word around. This is not the f- last time we will see it in this year's comics. I think definitely, like, we're getting some early 2000s flexibility. Uh, less, I don't know, less, like, cultural... What's the word? Outrage over language, uh-huh. I guess, at least is being publicized, certainly. Sure. This is a pre-Twitter oh, era. I, I mean, and there are words that get thrown out that are kind of striking to see in print because you probably wouldn't see them today. But the thing is, in like, Marvel, there's nothing about this comic that defends Liz Allen from that. Like, Liz Allen comes up and is kind of, like, drooling all over Peter Parker. Yeah. And then she just, like, she literally is the caricature of the slut. It's it's and, used and to I make think, MJ jealous. Yeah, it literally all it's it that. So like Liz Allen is shown as kind of a fool, mm-hmm. and Flash Thompson calls her a slut, and then we move away from that scene. Yeah, and that's literally the only moment we see Liz Allen. We'll and see I, more from Liz as we go. Sure, I, I don't I know if think, it's going to help or hurt what you're saying. I think that that scene sucks, and like the fact that Flash says that, no one says anything, no one calls him out on it, and that like Liz doesn't how they portray Liz doesn't help. I would say Flash is the least likable character in the seven issues but i don't think they want you to think that he's like a little sexist mo- he's not trey from daredevil and Electra. right the worst character right. that we see in all in the, all right, of these right. issues for sure uh so i you know I, I think that's a little like they're just kind of tossing out like you know i mean it's literally like it's the same as if he just tossed out like uh, you know a minor racial slur and they just let it sit there yeah right, a little on bit. the page right. right and it's just like yeah okay and then we're gonna move on and like Flash will become who he becomes. But yeah. Like, yeah, I, I think that's... It, it is that kind of casualness of using that that I think is like... Yeah. Yeah, not great. Right. I mean, no, that, I that is that. like 2000s Marvel Comics in a nutshell. Right? No, I, I think it's... Even if you want to say, well, it's of the era, like, it's still worth calling out that sure. that would be treated and probably handled better today. Uh, All right, we're going to okay. take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about... <laughs> Okay, so who else? Let's see. Kong is great. We love Kong. We love Kong. Um, yeah, because he, I mean, I just like him because, like, like you said, he uh, he becomes a good guy. Like, he's mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, he's kind of a doof. But So like, I, I do think, like, the supporting cast, Peter's supporting cast in high school, yeah. is pretty quickly compelling. I think it's we're going to see it expand. But you have Mary Jane Watson is a high schooler here, going to the same high school as Peter. Yep. They have a pretty clear chemistry Right? They're not quite friends or dating yet, but it's clearly moving that way. Yeah, sure. Kong comes in as the former bully, gonna be kind of friend. Yeah. It would appear. Yep, yep. Flash is the bully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Harry Osborn. 
as a high schooler with Peter. They're all seniors sucks. at this point. Harry sucks. Harry sucks. Why do you think Harry sucks? It's got normal brown hair. What? It's got oh, normal brown doesn't hair. have the red cornrows. You're yeah. right. Yeah, it sucks. You're right. So the Osborne injection oh, I, into I, this book. I just skimmed every page he was on after that. Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. get that. Hair-based skimming happens a lot. Um, the Osborne injection in this book, I think, is extremely successful. You might need to get a little closer. So what they what Ultimate Spider-Man does that was not part of the Amazing Spider-Man mythos as we know it right. is it begins in Oscorp Industries, the spider experiments, mm-hmm. as we've seen them conducted now in the pages of, um, or excuse me, not in the pages of, but in movies like yeah, Raimi right, Spider-Man, right. is the spider experiments are done by Norman Osborn in his company Oscorp, and then we have Harry Osborn in high school with Peter Parker. So the Osborns become... A figure in Peter's life earlier and more thoroughly. Immediately. Like, Norman Osborn is scattered throughout these seven issues, you know, like, pretty frequently. He's the first villain. Do you... Is there anything there that you're like, I kind of wish they hadn't done that or I wish they'd done that differently? Because I think that's probably the smartest change they make to the Spider-Man mythos. No, I I agree. I sometimes bristle at this um, retconning, retelling in Marvel Comics when they have to, like, when everything needs to point, like, when you try to retell a story and just, like, every detail of an origin needs to be connected in with something else, right? Yeah. That impulse to, like, have everything need to be linked in some kind of, like, interesting way or some kind of, like, coincidental way. Yeah. Right. We're going to see plenty of examples of that in the Ultimate Marvel Universe as this continues. Well, that's the thing is that they have foresight now, right, to, like, Okay, we know who ends up mattering. Yeah. Right? Like, the chameleon, who was right at the beginning, doesn't really matter. Or the tinkerer, or whatever, who sure. is Spider-Man number two, I think. Or yeah. number one. It's yeah, amazing whatever. Spider-Man number two. Yeah, yeah. Like, that doesn't matter. That's not going to be the origin story. Green Goblin, though, he's going to matter. Yes. So, like, yes. it is interesting to tie their origins together. Right? Like, this maybe makes some thematic sense. We can, you know, that they both stemmed from the same type of accident. I like it coming from... A character that he knows, a character that is the father of his best friend, yep. a character that we know is going to be important and going to be a Spider-Man villain moving forward. I think it just it feels, makes sense for the story here as just well. It feels like it makes sense, too. It well, kind it's of less like, random. Yeah, it's yeah, less yeah. random. It's something where Norman Osborn and his team are experimenting on these spiders. Peter and the school go on a field trip there. Peter gets bit by the spider, as we all know. But in this case, like, there's footage, and Norman Osborn knows... Peter Parker was bitten by the spider. Yeah. So there's sequences of them like, are we going to kill him? Are we going to take him out so his family doesn't sue and ruin yeah. all of our work? Are we going to... And then Norman sees he has some powers, and he's like, no, let's just watch. Because he's fascinated in how his powers are going to develop. So I think what it does is it, again, in terms of like honoring the source, it's not just making the change to be like, oh, it's all connected. It's making the change because the most famous thing Norman Osborn does in the AMS line is he learns Peter Parker's identity right? Yes. as the Green Goblin. From here, he knows it from jump. Yeah. He yeah, yeah. always knows who Peter Parker well, is. It makes him more menacing. Something that the researcher working for Norman is Dr. Ock. Yeah. Right? Dr. Ock works for Oscorp. And I don't know how he would move forward not knowing Peter Parker's identity. I'm not sure if that becomes the case. But, like, so Norman tricks Harry into bringing Peter back into the 
the lab. Yeah. And Dr. Octopus steals a blood sample, literally just like walks up to a teenager and is like, hey, would you like to see how blood is tested? <gasps> and like stabs him in the arm. And Peter freaks out. Well, Peter's like, is this a trap? And yeah. he runs out the door. Right? Yeah. Because at this point he knows there's something in his blood. There's something going on with what these powers he's developed, yep. you know? So I don't know how you walk away from this with Dr. Octopus not knowing. I, I have to be honest, I don't remember. I don't. <laughs> I as far read. as I remember, I don't think he does like immediately know, but that doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, so yeah. what happens is that this spider was infected with something called Oz. They oh call yeah, it, like which is the uh, you know the the mystery mystery drug. Yeah, mystery drug that uh, was it was basically infused with spider DNA mm-hmm. and then put back into a spider. Are they trying to make super soldiers? I kind of skimmed over the the explanation for the drug here. Well, Norman is because he says. He says that spider, that uh, the Oz in the, I don't know if it quite makes sense, but he says the Oz with the spider was infused with spider DNA, giving Peter Parker all the abilities of a spider. So the Oz that you're going to inject with me combined with my DNA, so it will give you all the best parts of me amplified in myself. You're amplifying a human to their fullest possible potential, essentially. Which basically means like, for him, this is the other big change. Norman Osborn is not the Green Goblin, like, not Norman Osborn going a little crazy, putting a mask on. Now we're in a Halloween costume. He yeah. turns into a dragon man. Yes, he turns <gasps> into a very big, not not the fun dragon man that we know and love, not the big purple it's guy. Little, it's got a little steamy here. In yeah, the, yeah, dragon, like dragon man, man gets us excited. No, he turns into a literal big goblin. Do you like this design artistically? We haven't talked about Mark Bagley specifically a lot yet. Do you like the goblin redesign? I bristled at this initially when I was reading the mm. Ultimate Spider-Man universe. The big he's literally a big green dragony looking guy. Sometimes it looks like he's just a big man, but with like regular skin, but he's hulkish. A, but then a green head. Yes. Um I prefer original costume Green Goblin by a decent chunk. I do like this characterization. Yeah. Of yeah. Norman Osborne now. I think it works fine just because, like, yeah, we still have the original, right? Like I think moving forward with that, sometimes it's like, I think maybe the impulse might be like, oh, this doesn't feel like the Green Goblin I know, even if I don't, even if I don't dislike this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, if you don't dislike it, then just go read the original ones, right? Those Mm -hmm. exist. So like, no, I I like that. I mean, it does turn him into a Hulk figure, right? Like he turns into this big, slightly mindless, like you feel like Norman Osborn's in there because when he grabs Peter Parker later, he has this guttural thing and he goes parker he's growling he's right. not entirely there yeah but he knows he's there enough to recognize peter parker uh he also right. goes and kills his wife um that's right in front of harry osborne yeah so norman uh, experiments on himself yep. eventually and he turns into this big goblin oscorp explodes but he survives of course and he goes home he winds up killing his wife don't remember exactly they don't say why like, why or no, the there's details no, there's no good what. explanation it's just... it, maybe he's just out of control harry does survive he escapes but he knows now he's like i, I don't know that anything is said so much as he's like that's my dad well he sees. i know it. he sees so he sees his dead mother and yeah. his house is burning and he sees the shadow of this big goblin thing yeah. and he also saw his dad being injected and heard him like screaming yeah and i think one of the end of the issue is him running in to see his dad transform so like was a pretty like a to b to c yeah for him right um so yeah um let's talk about mark bagley sure artist alongside brian michael bendis here bagley has had a a long career with spider-man that dates back to like the early 90s he writes uh he draws spidey throughout 
like things like Maximum Carnage in the 90s. He was mm. on Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, he had a pretty famous early 90s run on New Warriors. Like, he's had a, a pretty, like, a decade here of doing Marvel Comics. He's going to be the guy on Ultimate Spider-Man for a good decade. Well, he talked... You hear about this all the time of, like, um, writer-artist duos with, like, record-setting runs. Yeah. And... Bendis and Bagley are, like, on Ultimate Spider-Man, get talked about all the time. Yeah. They did, like, over 100 issues together, right? Yeah. It's a pretty impressive run. Bagley, I'll start with his strengths. I think he does very good character design mm-hmm. overall. Everyone looks really distinctive, right? Yes. Um, Like, Mary Jane, Kong, Flash, Peter, May and Ben. Mm-hmm. They all stand out, like, at a glance, right? Yeah. Like, you know what they look like? They have, like, really distinctive designs. I think I don't like his style very much. Okay. Drawing faces, specifically, which a lot of this comic is faces. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it, like, manga-ish. Like, I generally like manga, but... Um, In terms of like, larger eyes, They have these big eyes, but I think it just makes them look, like, doofy often. Okay. They either look like... They look silly, or they look... Sometimes you're... you He's drawing people to look like they are supposed to have, like, awe on their face. Yeah. Or laughter, they look manic. They just okay. have these like huge, wide open eyes, and it makes them look like they're just kind of manic. And I think that's not exactly what he's going for. Huh. There's also pages like I was sharing in the Slack today where people just look wrong, right? Like it looks like someone like spilt some water on the page, and like, yeah, it just mo- like the the page just got more. So like he's not a consistent artist, right? Like P- Peter will just have different features panel to panel hmm. sometimes in a way that like really stands out to me. I wonder how much of that has to do with the early going versus what we're going to see. Yeah, sure. These sure. are the first seven issues, obviously. Like nobody, and again, we kind of alluded to this, but like nobody knew what Ultimate Universe was going to be if they were even building an Ultimate Universe. This might have been just like a Spidey origin reboot, depending on sales success, right? So there's a lot to be figured out. I, I don't know how much of that can be attributed to Bagley's work. I think I he, his he style new... is so distinctively Ultimate Spider-Man yes. that to me it's hard to imagine anything else because yeah. he does it for so long. He does. It is very distinctive. And it, I will say some of it is personal preference. Yeah. And some of it is just like, Ugh, I don't like that very much. Like mm-hmm. um, Lock and Key, you know that comic? Mm-hmm. I hate the look of that comic. I think really? that comic is so abhorrent. <laughs> that comic, I know you're going to look. I saw you had it on your shelf. Uh <laughs> I think that comic is hard to look at. Interesting. But I don't think it's bad. Like, I don't think, like, the art is actually well, bad. I just really don't yeah. like the aesthetic of that versus something like this or Invincible, mm-hmm. where I think the art is bad. Where, like, no, wait, wait. I don't want to say this is bad. This can be bad. You're talking about, I don't want to, I don't want to oh, have no, the let, Invincible conversation. Can we, can we just pause for a second and have a big com- No, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll back off that. Um, Invincible has some bad art, though. <laughs> I, Are you talking I, about the early issues or the Ryan Otley stuff? I read There's two artists on Invisible. I read like they very 65 issues of that. And you hated and all it of them. stayed bad pretty consistently. <laughs> I, I swear to you, I could pluck out like every other issue. I could pluck out a panel and send it to you and say... You could pluck like, out a panel any comic. And I would be like, what is happening here? Because the art does not tell me. The art is showing me one thing. You and hate the, Invincible. I really do. I think oh my goodness. I think it's a bad comic. Okay. Um, no, I think... yeah. Some of it's aesthetic, but some of it is, I think, like, some of it's sloppy work. I think some of it, like, is that, like... Called out. Maybe it's rushed. Uh, you know, maybe... I, I don't want to attribute to, like, he being a bad artist. Like, clearly he's a good artist who can, like, do good work. I like Mark Bagley's Spider-Man. Yeah. A fair amount. 
Oh, I like the way he draws Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I really like because I also like the. It's literally just the way he draws faces. Hmm. Sometimes it feels rushed. Okay. You know? So in like, I, I never want to attribute bad art to like the artist being a bad artist. Sure. Or maybe not. Never. He's, At some point, he's almost unquestionable. Wait till not. we get to the Fantastic Four artist. Uh, there, there are moments that the the porn guy. What's his name? Uh. Let's, let's wait. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's Any, wait. Yeah, anyway. Okay, no, no, so, no, you, no. so you're... But, like, does his... You said you've already read a lot of this USM. Yeah. Does Bagley's art uh, diminish that for you as you no, go? No, no. Does I, he... Do you warm to him, do you think, as I, the series goes? No, I think he draws, like, a nice clean page. I think, like, it flows really well. Mm-hmm. I like the way he draws Spider-Man itself. Mm-hmm. I even kind of like the cartoony, stretchy style of mm-hmm. everything. Um yeah, it's just it's not my favorite. It's just uh, okay. yeah, okay. I, I think some of it's some of it's just like aesthetic preference. Some of it I think is a little rushed right at the beginning. Mm. Maybe that'll get better. Yeah, I don't it's, think there's ever like Bagley's. He's not the type of artist that does stuff. So like Marvel team up, Bill Sienkiewicz does three issues. Yeah, he's not the type of artist who does stuff that I'm like, wow, that is one heck of a layout. That is a stylistic choice. He does good, clean superhero comics. I mean, he does some good storytelling here, where like the sequence where Norman Osborn comes to his house. Mm-hmm. and kills his wife and wakes up Harry and mm-hmm. Harry comes out is three pages with like four word bubbles there's like ten words across mm-hmm. all bubbles so it's very very minimal mm-hmm. it's just storytelling through the visuals and he does an excellent job like, it's clear I think he's I think yeah. he's a good layout he draws good layouts I think like he's nice and clear in what he's doing mm-hmm. I think I bristle at the way he draws faces and that's that's about it like, okay. besides that I yeah I definitely don't dislike this it doesn't detract from it in a way that I'm just like Ugh, I hate reading this. Sure, like, sure. We read some later, some of the Marvel team-up stuff that I was just like, this is boring. And I don't think that about him at all. No. Like, so, yeah. last thing that I have to say to Ultimate Spider-Man, yeah. um, before we recap kind of how where the series ends, is the other change, the biggest change, is Peter is working on a formula that his father left behind. Uh-huh. So his dad, Richard Parker, is dead here. I don't know that we really even get a mention of Mom. I don't no, know that she's no, really brought up in this, which is kind of odd, actually. Because in so in AMS, we learned in Amazing Spider-Man Annual, I think number five, Pierce Parker's parents are dead, but they actually were CIA agents. Oh, I, I right? forgot about that. Yeah. Secret <laughs> super spies in the Ultimate Verse. What we know so far is Peter's dad was a scientist. He left a formula behind for Peter, and Peter is working on figuring it out. When he finally does, it turns out it's the formula for an adhesive that becomes his webbing. I guess it's fine. I, I like its I like its application of Peter as a scientist. Yeah. I think that's an important characterization moment. Yeah. As far as changing the dad's role, it kinda makes sense. I don't that, really I don't really Peter care. Get there. I don't really care about that, I guess. About which part? I, what his dad does yeah, or that, how no, he gets no. the webbing. Oh, I don't care what his dad does because I forgot that he was a spy, so like that history means nothing to me. Like, which is a crazy thing to forget, but I know what you mean. I mean it was one story, right? Like yeah, it doesn't and, come up a ton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Red Skull killed Peter Parker's parents. Yeah, like, um, yeah uh, if I was being consistent here, I would fuss about it because Iron Man 2 has an equally, like, almost literally the same exact storyline that is very dumb, and I hate it in that movie. I mean, where like much earlier. Where Howard Stark, you remember? Like, Howard yeah. Stark created the plans for his chest plate. For his heart. That, like, saved his life, and it's like very on the nose and very like contrived Mm -hmm. feels forced in this i just kind of was like okay whatever who cares just part of the story i mean it establishes peter as a scientist yeah yeah it establishes him as i I like that i like the part that because i mean he did in the original one too right come up with his his own own formula yeah you know what i thought though i was surprised when he came up with a formula for webbing because i thought he had organic webs in this 
Because of the movie. I don't know what because of. Yeah, so in the 2002 movie, yeah, he has he organic does, yeah. webs, and that becomes sort of a thing yeah, in yeah. comics. Like, hey, yeah, how yeah. do we dress him having organic webs? Right, yeah. Um, in the Ultimate Universe, the two years before the movie, he invents his webbing. Yeah. And we're all grateful for that. Let's talk about how the comic ends. Oh, I like, I like organic webbing. More than web shooters? I don't know. It's, uh... Equally. I don't know, it's weird. I like web shooters more because it's a thing Peter invented... Yeah, and no, I do too. He, he is a right. scientist. He is smart. I prefer that. Organic no, webbing think... just means he just had him. Yeah, I think you're right. You also, know. it makes him sticky. Yeah, no, I mean, you know what? Actually, <laughs> I do love the idea that, like, because, you know, his webbing is created, that Spider-Man really is, like, kind of a boring superhero if you, like, strip him down to just the facts. It's like, he can stick to walls. Yeah. He's pretty agile. Mm-hmm. Pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little bit of a sixth sense. So, like, if you take the webbing out of it, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, what his actual powers are. Like, the most fun visual, certainly. It's just him climbing up walls. Which is just, like, that's nothing, right? Like, yeah. it's a very, very, like, stripped-down power set. It's, like, for how cool and ca- interesting and popular that character is, his, like... I mean, he's basically Daredevil, if you take the webbing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Sure. <laughs> Daredevil burn. Uh, okay. I mean, Daredevil basically has webs web slinging with his with his batons yeah i mean they that's the pat like literally you see him in uh in the old 60s ones just like in between buildings like yeah. swinging swinging it's, it's the same thing with like a you know a batman uh yeah Batman hook right yeah, that's dumb everyone too. wants webbing yeah. that's really what we're getting at so we? the end of this comic is the big spider-man versus goblin fight kind of reminds me of the movie the amazing spider-man with the lizard going into the high school oh yeah yeah okay so the yeah. goblin actually comes and attacks the high school, I think, is it to find Harry? Or is it Harry he knows thinks Peter's that there? Harry thinks it's coming for him. Peter thinks he's coming for him, and probably and it's more Peter. And Peter says like, "Oh, he was coming looking for me. Maybe yeah. also Harry." So we don't really know. Yeah, who's looking for one of them? Either way, he's got connections. Obviously, um, Storm and Norman at that point has made himself known. Army shows up. Spider Man <laughs> fights him, and, uh, well, and you get a little. Like, I mean, you get a little wink to Amazing Spider Man, where they go to the top of the George Washington Bridge. Yeah, right in the like iconic moment. There. No, no women captured at this point in time, though. Yep, right. Yep, yep. And uh, and the Green Goblin, really just known as the Goblin here, gets thrown into the river and disappears. Right, and that's that's kind of that's all we'll ever see. The of mysterious him. ending, right? Maybe that's yeah. the end of him. Um, but that's where these seven issues end. I mean, I think as origins go. It's a pretty successful retelling, yeah. And yeah, it yeah. builds it builds a world that I want to come and hang out in. I think, which is the most important thing it does. Yeah, I think it sets the table. I'm interested to see where it goes next. I hope it. Uh, I mean, because I I don't. It's been a decade since mm-hmm. I read these, mm-hmm. so I really don't remember how like successful these are to me. Um, I really hope it like fleshes these out out in ways that like are interesting. I want to see you know takes on new villains. The only thing I really remember is that they bring in the uh, what are they called the big three the uh, the the enforcers. The enforcers, yeah. In like a weirdly big way, it's going become... to bring in a lot of a lot of like again. It's this is the let's pay homage to the greats series. Yeah, let's which, pay homage to the '60s Spider-Man series, which will be fun to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So the other thing we read. Marvel team up one through eight, and this is a weird one. It's really weird. It like it doesn't really have much to do with the Ultimate U. It's weird because it's a Spider-Man journey, the Ultimate Spider-Man's journey, meeting all the previously established established characters that we already know, like Wolverine, Iron Man, Hulk, 
in ways that don't Daredevil really puncher. have to do with what they're going to look like when they show up later. Right. Like, this Tony Stark is not the Tony Stark we will know later. There's some hints of it, very we tiny ones. We get a backstory ones. of Tony Stark here that I don't know if that holds up. We're going to talk about that next episode. Okay. <laughs> because we're going to read some Iron Man stuff next up. But yeah, so like, this, this I wouldn't not, treat... This is not the Hulk. I know for sure. Yeah. This is not the same Bruce Banner or Hulk we get later. This is just like... Oh, it's kind of like if the 60s Hulk just showed up. Yeah, and this is the... The team-up is the series that... It's like, don't treat this as the origins or the introductions of the Ultimate Universe of these characters because it's not that. It's a it's a book that is like, we don't know what the Ultimate Universe is going to be. We don't know how long it's going to keep going. Like you said earlier, it's basically Bendis doing a what-if-Ultimate-Spider-Man-Met-Earth-616 versions of these. I think... They're interest. They're most interesting because of some of the creative collaborations that come out of this. Like, yes. it's a weird I think little issues four and five, like the best of the two thousands. Yeah, you get artist. Mike Allred doing Iron Man stories, which you know what, like, not my favorite Mike Allred. No, it's not very good. Uh, you can see a little of what makes him cool. There's one shot specifically of Tony Stark's face peering through the mask, mm-hmm. where it's just teeth. Yeah, teeth and big eyes sticking out. That's like it adds this real level of eeriness to mm-hmm. it. Besides that, I think he needs a better inker. His inking is usually much he- heavier blacks. Right. The inker, the inking usually makes it like yeah. look very like flat, kind yeah. of right. There's like not much depth to them purposefully, and it, uh-huh. he's such a distinctive artist, and you don't see that. This here. is sort of fitting into could be other people's styles, which I, yeah. I don't think works for Allred very well. One of my favorite artists, honestly. Yeah. Issues six and eight are the best artistic creative collab because it's Bendis working with Bill Sienkiewicz. Very, very famous artist who most probably well-known Marvel work is New Mutants with oh, Chris Claremont yeah, in yeah, the yeah. 80s. Um, you know, he created characters like Legion. He did the Demon Bear saga. He does uh, Daredevil, Love and War, graphic novel, and Electro Assassin with Frank Miller. So Sienkiewicz is well-known for a a pretty, what's the word, um, a pretty stylistic and, like, out-there kind of style, but frequently very, very compelling. Very painterly. Right, like, it feels very much like, uh, I don't know. I mean, he, he definitely doesn't, like, adhere to traditional panel layouts. It's abstract. In any way. A it's lot very of abstract in a lot of ways. It's very messy. Yeah. literally looks like he just, you know, like, flicks his paint across the, <laughs> yeah. the, the canvas for this. Do you, are there elements of, I think what's, what's strange about this series is, like, okay, the first issue, it's a Spider-Man and Wolverine team-up yep. of sorts. Yep, yep. Because Wolverine is going to be introduced in Ultimate X-Men later, this could be treated as the same Wolverine. It could be treated as the same Ultimate Universe where, like, mutants are known. Mm -hmm. You know, we get a lot of, like... So, like, actually one of the crux of this issue is somebody calls Spider-Man a mutant. Right. Like, a civilian is like, you you weird mutie. And there's a lot of, like, people throwing around, you know, mutant slurs, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Spider-Man kind of is having an internal debate... Am I mutant? Is that even a bad thing? Like, what does that mean? Etc. And then kind of in teaming up with Wolverine, he comes to an answer about whether or not he's a mutant. But what it does is it establishes mutants as an already existing thing. And basically, all of these issues establish all of the Marvel Universe as an already existing thing in the Ultimate U, which is interesting because it means Spider-Man's not the start. Spider-Man's the first series, but he's not the first hero. I kind of think the... I think something opposite of that, where, like... At least the way that people react to Spider-Man sometimes, specifically when we cut to JJJ, mm-hmm. is as if this is the first time anyone has seen a, a hero. Yeah. Right? Like, it kind of feels like, to me, it feels like this is almost the beginning of... Well, people don't really know Spider-Man yet. 
Right. Yeah, he's no, still new. But he talks about it like a person in a costume running around yeah, causing yeah. trouble. Like, like that feels like fresh and new. I almost would like that better, right? Like yeah. the idea like this is the beginning. This is the, you know. It's the world's introduction to, to, to hero. Well, well, it's New York's introduction to the Hulk. Yeah. If yeah, we're yeah. to take it, if we're to take it as yes, this happened and yes, we're going to fit it in comedy. They did mention the Hulk in Spider-Man like seven or something when he invades the school someone's like is it the hulk and someone's like no he lives in utah yeah so it's like he exists yeah. he's yeah. in the world yeah, yeah okay. are in the world i think so, it, it's ill-defined i which i, I think, think is a problem because it feels underwhelming it's just like oh what what's my first introduction of yeah. mutants what what how are you setting the table for mutants in the ultimate you what's yeah. the new take on mutants and it's just like oh it's kind of the same thing I've seen since the 70s. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is just a normal Spider-Man Wolverine story. Like, it literally could have been picked up word for word from a Marvel team up in the 70s. Yeah. No different. I right? think my my biggest take from these, the things I like. I like Peter Parker meeting Wolverine and then going to high school that styling is, his hair like Hugh Jackman that in the is X-Men great. movie. Yes, that, is, that almost makes that whole issue worth it. It's a great last yes. two pages. That's yes, hilarious. Yes, yes. I really like, like I said, there's three issues of <laughs> what is what is the weirdest Spider-Man team-up issue because it's He's all Daredevil and Punisher. It, well, the first issue is Spider-Man and Punisher. The second is Daredevil well, it's like and a, Punisher. It's like a page of Spider-Man. Exactly. It's and then nothing. the third is all three of them. Yeah. It's only worth reading for the art, I'd say, because otherwise it is an absolute mess of a Punisher story where it's just like... It's, re- it's, re- it's redoing the Punisher origin. Which is the same origin... More le- oh no it's dirty cop he was a police he was a cop yeah, right yeah. as opposed to a you know so it's changing that aspect a little bit um, but it's the same idea yeah yeah you know, and that's kind of what all of them are doing is they're but this it's... Bendis is doing small tweaks sort of like he did for Spider Man yeah but they're almost even smaller like Tony Stark is just a businessman on a plane that crashes in Guatemala and what like terrorists take him hostage terrorists who say that he's been supplying their like dictatorship government yeah. with weapons and he denies it but i never know it's true yeah um, it's kind of a boring reinvention yeah that that one think? is nothing i would like completely... it also takes jensen out of the equation it's like a, a... he has a cousin gregory with him yeah it's killed it's less like, interesting yeah please not my favorite gregory the hulk um, just shows up we don't even get any origin there yeah the hulk is Same literally Wolverine just... and Sabretooth. honestly i read these and i will know ne- i'm just going to pretend that these are not part of this like, they kind of aren't. They as, kind of as much aren't. as I like the Sinkowitz, the Sinkowitz art is really great. I think. Okay, I also think J. Michael J. No, Brian Michael Bendis. J. Michael Straczynski Bendis. Yep. <laughs> um, I think Brian Michael Bendis needs to keep his politics out of my comics. Oh no, Zach's getting political. Yeah, Wait, I, I was what afraid. Are you talking I was about? afraid to unveil this on my Marvelous Year, but. Comic skaters unite! Oh my! What on, are on you my ulti- doing? Behind the Patreon wall, I can. This is going to go public, su- you know, right? Su- oh, oh, oh! Uh, never mind. Yeah, let's delete no. everything you just said. What are you talking about? What are you? Losing? I think that he tells a good, very like pulpy comic book story. Okay, that is his strength. I think when he tries to start, when he starts trying to bring in real world ethics or politics or societal commentary it feels like the most like naive baby stuff (laughs) where where is he doing that um he does that in uh both the punisher stuff Mm -hmm. where he's talking about like corrupt cops and it's like this whole thing about how like you know matt murdoch is defending a cop from he says from some 
trumped up police, you know, I got you off the hook for those trumped up police brutality things. And it's like defending a cop who then later talks about how the fact that every cop he knows is corrupt. But then Spider-Man and Daredevil protect the cop from Mm -hmm. getting killed by the Punisher. Mm -hmm. But then the cops put the Punisher in a jail cell with that same police officer, clearly so that he can kill him. Mm -hmm. And it's just like all, like, there is no consistent ideology to this comic it is all over the place i kind of think that's a good thing no i don't think i mean it's not like you think it's just i don't think it's it's different accidental chaos yeah i don't think it's different characters just bouncing off one another i think it is just like a complete mess of like him just using the trend and we've talked about this before in the 70s sometimes Mm. like where they're just saying like oh you know what's hot police brutality uh-huh. And I'm just using this as the veneer to tell a Here's our quote-unquote adult story, yeah. right? And it feels like that without any kind of, like, actual understanding. It feels like CSI versus The Wire, right? You know, where it's just like... It's definitely not The Wire. Right, sure. you know, like, it feels like there's nothing going on here. It is just like... But it, but it's trying to tell. Like, I, on I, its surface, it's like... I wouldn't judge very, it that harshly, honestly. I mean, I don't think it's that... I don't think it thinks it's that complex. He also gets into, like sexual violence stuff in daredevil and electra we'll get to and i that's greg rucka different story is that him writing that i thought that was him artist okay well greg rucka i think is actually better i was gonna say it gets better there but it's still not great but i think it's it's a little better i mean i do think i keep forgetting that 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 is not him (laughs) yeah i do think the the police stuff bendis is dealing with with corrupt cops and so much i mean he's doing a very comic book approach to the subject matter especially for where we're at in I mean, he, publication He's doing that talk, talking out of both sides of mouth where, like... He's not taking a... I don't get... I never got the sense that, like, Brian Michael Bendis is taking a stand here on something. Right, but he's, still, read he's, still, he's still telling the story where, like, the Punisher... Our good guys, Spider-Man and Daredevil... Yeah. ...are clearly, like, this is wrong and bad. You need to, like... We don't kill. We don't kill. So we're going to let the law take care of this Daredevil's whole thing. And the Punisher is super cool in the way that he's taking down these cops and the cops are like slimy little weasels what do you mean super cool i mean that shot of him like i mean the the he executes some corrupt cop outside of a bar so you think you remember that sequence i think it's so glorifying that because that was cool right wasn't that the whole problem with the punisher potentially i mean exactly but like if you it is if you don't like sell it i i mean you're getting into Punisher police territory, I think this which is, is an extremely complicated thing that a lot of people have a lot of very, very strong opinions about. I don't think these three issues are hitting that that hard. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, no, I, I think the Punisher needs to either be, like, an indictment of, like, the society, right? Like, uh-huh. it should be, like, the Punisher exists and has a need to exist because things went wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, people are not getting punished like they should. <laughs> like, yes. There's not actual justice in the world, and that's yes. why he needs to exist. Not that, like, he's some kind of, uh, you know, hero to look up to, right? Like, he is a tumor, right? Like, mm-hmm. he exists because... Yeah, I think right. I think this comic paints him as that in the same way that most Daredevil Punisher but it also, stories do. I still feel like it's trying to frame him as, like, pretty badass it still makes him cool and badass i think that's i think that is how punisher is presented from 1986 through today yeah i i mean i I, too often not too often but but very very often i think maybe when we're dealing with like real comic book goofiness that can work for me because it's just like okay i can put aside like trying to compare this to the real world Mm -hmm. 
But when it tries to start getting into, like, real nitty-gritty him doing, like, point-blank executions, so this guy begs for him, like, please don't shoot me in the face. Like, I don't want my mother to see me like this. And he's like, the face it is then. And then you see a shot of, like, yeah. the car window behind the guy exploding as he, like, blows the guy's head off. Yeah. And it's supposed to be, like, thrilling violence. Yes. And I don't think it is an indictment of the reader, which I think would be cool. Like, I think those are good, in- there's good, interesting ways to make to make you feel thrilled for seeing this. And then to pull the rug out from And make you feel you. bad about it. I don't think this does it at all. And also, like, what the hell is this saying about cops? Because, like, these cops are to be pitied, but then also they're all corrupt. But then also they put him in the cell with the corrupt cops, so it kind of turns out, like, oh, the cops really do want... Cor- I just think it's a mess. I think it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Isn't the most realistic thing you could do is to paint it as muddy and as a mess? Because probably that's the most lifelike okay. thing. Oh, right. Do you think that's what this is tracking in? Do you think this is playing in just, like, the real world? I mean, it's not criminal, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. but it is, I think... The world doesn't make sense, kid. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, I don't think I would be thinking this much about it if it wasn't Bill Sinkowitz, honestly. Because Bill Sinkowitz's art elevates it into being into some kind of realm of, like, this is a more serious comic. Yeah. Right? And it's if, taken very seriously. This is... If this was Mike Allred... I would be like, yeah, it's a stupid Punisher story that doesn't do anything. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that maybe it's just the fact that, like, aesthetically it's framed like criminal almost, right? Uh-huh. Like, this is this is grounded in a more serious aesthetic. Yeah. It makes me try, think You're talking about I, the Ed Brubaker, Steve Phillips criminal. Right, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Right. That's serious. Okay. Right. Which is playing in, like, morally gray yes. area always, right? Yes. And I think much more successfully that is playing in this, like, there are no good guys okay. realm. I don't think this does that. I think this is trying to tell a very, like, PG-13 story. It is. It is know, literally doing that. And very, yeah. like, teenage morals. That's what I think. I think Brian Brian J. Michael Bendis. <laughs> Michael Bendis needs to, like, stick to what he's good at, which is telling a Spider-Man story and keep his politics out of my comedy. Oh, my I goodness. mean, it's the same thing with, like... He's, the, he's, the, he's quite good at crime comics and war comics. I, I'm curious in the, about that. Have you read Jessica I'll, Jones? No, I have never read Jessica okay. Jones. He, this is a thing he is good at. I, I don't know that the, these three issues are not my favorite things in the world. If they didn't have Bill Sienkiewicz art, yeah. I don't know that we'd no, be talking about them this long at all. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a moment, did you notice this, where it's like, I think it's when the Punisher first, uh, he's going to kill a guy. He's going to kill an inmate in the prison. Right. So, like, that's one of the wildest decisions this comic makes is the Punisher's already in prison. Yeah. He's already known. Yes. He's... In, like, the cafeteria with the other villains, he hears this inmate bragging about sexual assault. And he's going mean, to kill no, with it's, this... it's really, like, vulgar stuff. Because he talks about, like, I broke into a woman's apartment. She didn't have any money, so I raped her. That's bad. Daredevil caught me, put me in here. When I get out, first thing I'm going to do is go right back to her house and rape her again. Yeah, it's like, brutal. Exactly. So that's... That... It's brutal and gross. I'm like, you're on the that, Punisher's I'm side. I'm saying that he is tracking in the what what's the word i'm looking for he's playing with these things that are like adult serious things yes using like a 12 year old's idea of like i think those are the things people robbers. play with in punisher comics yeah and i think that, that's why punisher comics probably usually suck like yes i think that is where you're going to net out more often than not yeah. on punisher comics i don't think he's unique in that uh, which doesn't mean don't criticize him. It just means, like, that is kind of how Punisher stories are told right now. I like what was the, I saying? Uh, oh, in okay, that scene, sorry, sorry. Punisher, Frank's about to kill somebody. And there's a moment of, like, the uh, the prison guard seeing him do this. Uh-huh. And Sikhevich draws this chaos of the battle breaking out. Mm-hmm. And he draws a literal deer 
with a car approaching, like, in the frame mm-hmm. of the guard to show deer in the headlights. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's such a little touch. It's so weird. It's I can't, such a I can't wait till we to get do. to him in the 80s and New Mutants. Yes. He does I, such cool work. I just yeah. love his art. I think him being on these issues is the most notable thing oh, about for them. Sure. For sure. By far. I just want to say, I really like uh, Garth Enos's Punisher. Run. Yeah. Because it, well, it's almost like it's more, it's making it a little goofy. I mean, I think, because he finds the like, this is absurd. Right, that's he's not trying to say like, you know what? It actually reminds me of why I hate Daredevil, the show, season one at least, which is all I've seen, <clears throat> which is great. I know, I know you like it. Yep, but it like it plays in that same realm of just like we're talking about literal human trafficking, like young girls being shipped in cargo containers to be sex slaves. Yeah, and Daredevil is just like, no, we we can't kill these guys. They need to be, you know, like sentenced by the law. We need to do things the right way. And like it has this very comic book mentality or morality it has this very very black and white rigid morality hmm. that is also being juxtaposed with like real horrific stuff. You know, like you can't. I feel like you can't play in those two places, right? Like the MCU can like. I mean, anyone who talks about Star Wars and just like. All the workers who were killed on the Death Star. It's like, well, that's not the point of the movie, right? The point of the... Like, you are introducing a level of seriousness into those movies. And a level of, like, genuine morality about, like, the casualties of war, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That are not in that movie. Like, that is a pulpy adventure, right? And, like, when you tell a pulpy comic book story, I'm fine with you blurring the lines about, like, what would really happen? That kind of thing. Okay. But when you, like, start trying to, like, ground your stories in these, like serious horrors it's just like you don't use the holocaust lightly right like if you're gonna bring in sexual assault if you're gonna bring in the holocaust if you're gonna bring in like these real genuine horrors then i feel like you should also be serious about the the rest of it right and i feel like this this doesn't and that's 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 why warren or garth warren enos garth enos his works well for me because he's like being absurd with it right like it's mm-hmm. so silly it's so over the top well until he's it's not like, which is punisher max which is I, a book I, I, quite, I did not read I that, really though. don't like, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I think sometimes I agree with you, sometimes I don't on that one. I mean, one. you like Daredevil, so. I like Daredevil first season, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think we could talk about that if we wanted to. I mean, there's I, stuff I like about it, but that, yeah. is, that is the thing. I so instead of is. talking about first season Daredevil on Netflix, let's talk about Ultimate Daredevil and Electra. Four yeah. issues here, written by Greg Rucka, art by Salvador LaRocca. Both of these creators, talented creators, have had long and pretty pretty famous careers in both Marvel and DC. Rucka at this point, when he comes onto this book, 2002, 2003, he's written a bunch of Batman books. He's written Whiteout with Steve Lieber, which has done pretty well. Um, LaRocca, he's going to go on to do some really cool Marvel work. Yeah, like let, me, let me talk about Iron Man. Talk some sugar about this first, which yeah. is LaRocca's art I loved here. It's really good. I think like it's really very, good. very good artist. And I, Probably my favorite art of these three selections, I would say. Besides Sinkowitz? Over oh, oh, excuse me. Sinkevich S- first. Sinkevich? I say Sinkevich. Okay, Sinkiewicz. I feel like I heard that one. Yeah. Um, I like it more than Bagley. Yes, yes. I would say sure. at this point. Well, I mean, consistent. Like, yeah. Super consistent, super clean. Fits the tone of the book. Fits It's yeah. a very college, uh, coming of age story, I but guess. Like, in yeah, yeah. Re- really good. Doesn't look dated at all. Yeah. Like, because something about Ultimate Spider Man is like, you look at that and you're just like, oh, yeah, 2001. Right, like mm-hmm. that looks like a two thousands comic. This could this could have come out later. I mean, because it did. This could have come out today. But... I feel like Ultimate Daredevil. And sure. This that style you could see today and sure. it would not look jarring. You know what this book uh, does? That's amazing. No? Daredevil and Electra's story. Yeah. Is literally retold in the Man Without Fear miniseries by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. in nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
for my money, this is a controversial take. Okay. I think Ultimate Daredevil and Elektra is better. Oh, okay. I genuinely think it's a better retelling of the beloved The Man Without Fear mini. I think it's really successful. The first thing it does that is successful, this is Ultimate Elektra. Mm-hmm. Daredevil is a supporting character at best. Yes. And I think that actually works really, really well. We kind of know Daredevil's deal. We've seen more stories with him as readers, again. And it gives you enough that you, if you had never heard of Daredevil, there's enough to go on here to kind of get his deal. But really, this is an Electra story. You know? Like, most of the early issues are Electra, her college roommate, this um, friend that they bring in. Yes. It's really all of them interacting as, like, college-age girls. And I think... That makes Elektra a lot more interesting than the stoic assassin that we just don't know a lot about in the pages of Daredevil. Just to point out, Elektra gets almost as many comics as Daredevil in the Ultimate Universe. Which is which is really compelling I mean, to me. We're going to read another series next year that is just Ultimate Elektra. Right. right. Which Ultimate Daredevil never happens. We never get one of those. Yeah, it's, there's, it's an interesting moment where Elektra seems like a lot more appealing a character... Which I don't think is necessarily is the, is in line she, with where like 616 is at. Actually, it's the opposite. Because yeah. Bendis is about to take over Daredevil in the, the main line. The thing is, I don't know who Elektra is besides an ideology. Which is literally well, I think this, just like... In this like, story, she gets, some, she gets some human moments. She I, is a friend to people in college. We see how she interacts. Like, she is defending the weak. Who is the this girl they find who has been sexually assaulted by Trey, this mm-hmm. college boy. He's like, he's the the stereotype of rich, entitled. He's the frat bro. Frat bro, right? And he's the son of the district attorney. He is a, a great villain in the sense that he is absolutely atrocious, right? Everything he does. He is, he's a little, he might be a little amped up for me, especially in the beginning. Like, he literally is just on the quad and he's just like squeezing a girl's ass and she's shrieking and he's just like let me have another touch and he grabs her book and dangles it above her like he's like a comic book bully slash sex offender um the i'd like to imagine it's heightened and and no one has ever ever behaved well, that way but certainly he is i think i think he's consistently treated i guess i think it's just that way that like there's it's very very obvious right like sex offenders don't like get, whatever i'm i'm getting it doesn't matter uh, I, I think it's just a little loud and a little obvious. It's like, a comic book. Well, comic okay. books are loud. Yeah, yeah Marvel comics so. in particular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can treat this with a little bit more subtlety. I mean, the more subtle thing to do is make him like slimy and charming, like make him suave and charming, and then and then he won't take, and then he won't take no for an answer. Sure. Right. Like that feels a little bit more realistic to me because this is. I didn't hate this at all. Like, I like this. I like this better than Marvel team up. I feel like Elektra in this comes across as, like, she's the characterization of feminist righteous anger. Okay. But that's it. Like, I don't think she gets to be too much of a character here. And I don't think that's terrible. I just, like, I I didn't walk away from this being like, oh, I want to see more of Elektra. Because mm-hmm. I don't know what there is about her. Like, what is there about her except being angry at, like, Men who do bad things to women and get away with it. I don't think she's just angry. She she builds an anger over yeah. the course of this series. Oh, no, no. As no. Trey... So, like, here's what happens. No, she's... Trey yeah, yeah, yeah. assaults yes. this woman. 
her her new friend her yeah. the electra and her college roommate you know befriend her and, and help her this. what's that i'm seeing every time you do this i see red on the oh okay <laughs> yeah um do you normally do that when you're recording? probably not oh, okay i wasn't sure if this <laughs> is probably not sitting that if... way yeah okay go on but uh they befriend her and they go to the police and basically they're trying to ensure trey is held uh, accountable for his crimes he is not because guess what his dad's also extremely wealthy he makes it go and away, has connections yeah. they make it go away and Electra's rage at this builds right to the point that she breaks into Trey's dorm room and threatens him yep. and says, you know, I could I could hurt you the same way that you hurt her. I'm not going to because that would make me as bad as you. And then he continues to get worse and worse. He attempts to, the point, to assault her again. He attempts to assault. Time, no, he does assault the same girl. He, well, he, he does. He gets I, away with it this time. No, no. He attempts to, but she fights him off because she's learned some self-defense. Like he attacks her outside with a mask on and she kicks him away is that right yeah yeah okay, okay. i read it upstairs yeah okay no, no, i'm <laughs> right. mixing the timeline yeah, either yeah. way her rage builds i guess is yes. my point yes yes she doesn't just begin as just like oh, no 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 i'm not i didn't i'm not ideology. saying that like yeah yeah that she's just like stereotypical she's like, like angry a, feminist well she's like a right exactly like she's no, a no. fairly no she is soft and friendly to a degree when she comes yeah, into yeah. college yeah for sure no she, I, we I, see I, a loving relationship with her dad mm-hmm. we see a very a very earnest friendship build with her new roommate yes i think there is characterization there okay i I just don't walk away feeling like, oh, okay, what, what is, what's her deal now? Well, because she... so at the end of this comic, yeah, throughout, uh, I guess let's back it up a little. Yeah, yeah. The Daredevil part of this, uh, romance. She, she's dating Matt Murdock. She dates Matt Murdock. She doesn't know that he's Daredevil. Right. And he's not quite Daredevil yet. Yeah. Right? He's in the college, like, figuring it out stage. He's wearing black instead of red, yeah. He puts on the black hood a la Daredevil season one, which is very good. And I think we can all agree. And uh, he's investigating. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good costume. <laughs> he's investigating Trey at the same time as Electra, kind of thing. So they run into each other. By the end of the series, they kind of run into each other in this this ultimate gambit to catch Trey in the act. Yep. Right. They set him up so they're like, all right, we're gonna tease it so he's gonna attack our friend again, and then we're all gonna catch him. And Daredevil and Electra bump into each other. Electra, I think, is of a mindset of like, I'm gonna kill this guy. Yep. And Matt. Is doing the thing he did in Punisher, basically, mm-hmm. which is saying, no, let's let the law handle it. Yeah. Um, it's actually very different than than Daredevil's portrayed in Daredevil Season 2, uh-huh. where the early foundations of the Daredevil romance there are like Daredevil is actually very, almost very complicit in some of the violence that they take part in. Okay. To a degree. Yeah. And then eventually they have a breaking up of sorts. But here, the, the way this ends is Electra's like, you can either choose to save the rapist's life. Yeah, she stabs him in the like the in the femoral thigh, artery, and yeah. says like he's gonna bleed out. You have ten minutes to get him to a hospital. Yeah, you can get him to a hospital, or you can come with me. Yeah, like make your choice. Yeah, and and right, which is I actually think pretty interesting because now Electra walks into the woods, and she's clearly going to go become something. Yep, some version of Electra in the Ultimate Universe, and we don't totally know what we're gonna find out in the next series. I actually find that pretty compelling. It, you know what? It it might honestly just come down to I don't think Greg Rucka has an amazing voice for voices. Like, his individual characters don't sound like people that much. Like, there's some banter, but it definitely feels like a little uh, perfunctory, like, hmm. between her and her friends. You know, like, I don't get a personality off any of them except, like, I like rock music. I like the blues. Like, that's literally the only, like, banter. Like, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's I, less bantery than Bendis, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, it, I, I actually, that's, I think Rucka is a really nice come down from Bendis, yeah. which has that snaking word balloon dialogue that he's famous yeah, for, which sure. is like, it's like in your face all over the page. Yeah, yeah. And then Rucka has a more, 
a I, more uh, what's the word like a more streamlined approach mm-hmm. to storytelling. I like becoming across as more negative on this than I actually am. Like I enjoyed this fine. I think they're fine. surprisingly good. I guess is why I'm more okay. defensive. I think you're, you're a little hotter on this than I am, but yeah. I think I don't know. Do you think that Daredevil comes across as in the wrong at the end here by saving him? Yeah, and not going no. With do, you, do you think he comes across as like a naive? As being naive here? I think the biggest critique of Daredevil you can make over and over again is his naivety in believing in the law. Maybe I... That is Daredevil's defining trait. Okay, maybe maybe this is a flaw in my reading of it, is that, like, when he did this, I was just like, oh, come on. You're mad at him, right? Like, I'm mad, but I don't know if that, like, is on the page, right? Like, I... Maybe. Oh, I think think that's how you're meant to feel. I think you're meant to feel like this is a hard choice... By the end of this story, See, it feel like if it, you don't want Trey to get what's coming to him, you know what I mean? Like but not, that's but a, not even in a like you know just kind of very basic human way of like you want revenge in a justice way, because the thing is that like I feel like Daredevil's version of the justice way is much harder for the average person to buy into because there's a cynicism around the law and society. But actually, but like giving him in what this example, deserves. we literally know. That he bought his way out. His father's district attorney and he will buy his way out of the rape So don't you expect he'll do the same thing again? And then he literally <clears throat> goes to try to do it again to this woman. So Daredevil's right? thing like, is I'm going to hit my head against this wall again. Right. Because I have to believe in the law. It's very similar to the Batman do not kill argument. Except that like it's just it, it comes across to me as strikingly naive and like he's in the wrong here for sure. Like. Justice only works in a just system. Well, I don't know about for sure, because I, at the same time, I value Daredevil's hopefulness. I value his absurd yet uh, optimistic heroism. Okay, I mean, but what happens to Trey here now, right? Like Daredevil takes him to jail. But he's not going to go to jail. For what? He's going to go know. to the hospital. Get he takes him to the hospital and, and lets free. him live. He's free to go after a rape and a rape attempt. And a so I, I think the classic right, Matt Murdock line would be, then we'll catch him on that and we'll bring him in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think, uh, yeah, you know what? I mean, th- this is part of like, again, I think this is a reoccurring thing. These are slightly written for teenagers. And I'm. Oh, these are. The, oh, the entire Ultimate Universe is geared for younger. Right. And I am, coming I am somewhat. Tr- tr- again, I feel like they're trucking in stuff that is maybe a little too complicated. For them to actually deal with properly. Because, like, this is an interesting conversation to have, right? Like, if there is no real justice in the system that you believe in, mm-hmm. like, you know, does that make you naive for believing in it? Like, th- there is some discussion between the two of them that could happen talking about, like, the daredevil is being incredibly naive and he's letting an evil person get away with it mm-hmm. because of his misplaced trust in this system. I think the comic is begging you to ask that question. I think the comic doesn't bring that up i don't think daredevil is ever cast in a light except for you that, think he's like, clearly in the right here no i think he's clearly in the wrong i think he's clearly in the wrong and the comic doesn't really play at that except that electra's mad at him uh, I, yeah. I disagree okay i think generally the hero saving someone's life is is a very comic book like they're doing the right thing exactly that's what i'm saying even he, the villains he's saving his life but i think he's doing the wrong thing and the, com- the comic doesn't talk about that. The comic doesn't give you any hint that he is doing like... Well, it ends. And it says to you, did he make the right choice? I mean, it ends and he loses Electra, But like, it kind of... To me, it almost reads like, well, he lost the girl. But he- I mean, it's kind of like when Peter Parker is 
off to you know off to see mary jane's play mm-hmm. and he sees someone getting mugged in an alley and it's like you know my relationship with mj's on the line or i can do the right thing and save this person yeah and it's like well he's gonna save them and he's gonna sabotage something for himself right and i'm like always kind of mad at peter for doing that right exactly but this feels like that too where it's just like yeah he had to save the person because that's the greater good and it's like i don't think that's the greater good i think he's literally like doing something foolish and wrong and he is helping the bad guys win here and i'm yeah i mean i'm very like anti-death penalty this is like in the morality of this comic book you know mm-hmm. like this is not like saying like i think the punisher should just kill everybody and we should just go kill criminals i think like this is someone who clearly is like manipulating the system to get away with it time and time and time again and this is the way that she keeps her friends safe i think she's in the right and i don't think the comic book really acknowledges that because i think it's probably because it's marvel comics not wanting to say like yeah go kill a rapist like <laughs> you're like they don't want their hero to just like see i would i would argue the fact murder. that you think she's clearly right yeah to kill someone yeah is the comic making a really strong argument yeah, maybe. It may be. You, you might be right. I, You know, maybe I'm wanting it to be a little bit less subtle in that regard. Yeah. Um, not subtle. Like, just... I just feel like I'm bringing too much to the table here. Like, the comic is not meeting me halfway with this conversation. And, like, I am, you know, I'm meeting it a little bit too far. Because, you know, it's like, I don't want that spoon-fed to me. But I also yeah. think you could have these... You, you can talk around it without saying it out loud. I don't think the comic says that explicitly it's a complicated issue i think it's a it's an interesting conversation yeah um i i, I think these four issues are surprisingly effective at reintroducing electra and daredevil to this universe i think they are definitely dealing with a subject matter that is frequently dealt with very very poorly mm-hmm. in superhero comics i don't know that it nails it by any measure i don't you know i mean if we're talking just about like you know, a woman's experience of sexual assault and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't think it's perfect, but I, I feel also... like it's on the right side at least. Yeah. I don't think it's atrocious. I don't think that stuff is atrocious at all. Yeah. It's still a little bit of like, you know, it's being used as the impetus for the hero to go run out and be the hero. But mm-hmm. like, at least like it's very focused on the women in the situation, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not a big strong man coming in to save the day and the woman is sidelined in her own trauma. Like, so yeah. I mean, and she gets her own agency, right? Like, Electra goes and, you know, teaches her how to, you know, have self-defense, etc. So, no, I, I don't think that part um, is, is... I mean, but for marketing, I think this would be Ultimate Electra 1, and the next series is Ultimate Electra 2. Sure. Like, again, like yeah. I said, Daredevil's a bit player. Yeah. I, I mean, you know what? I'm interested to see the next bit of Electra. I, I don't really know Electra in the, um, the mainline series either, if she, like, gets to be more than, like, Cheesecake... Because that, that is my, what I think of her is I think of, like, covers, the covers of her comics where she is hyper, so, hyper-sexualized. intriguingly, those comics with the hyper-sexualized Greg Horncomers oh, from the talk, early 2000s, you talked about this in our they're going to be written thing. by Greg Rucker. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm very curious to see how we feel about those, because I actually think there's a lot of themes and similarities that are going to play through in the main line. Um, but for the time being, that is, that is all we had to read of this round of The Ultimate Universe. We're going to be back. With episode two, which we're again will include all the issues that we're going to read for episode two next month. You can find that spreadsheet. I, I don't in think it will be a bad notes. idea since this is only monthly, just to say it out when we're here. Yeah, sure. Uh, it is Ultimate Electro one through five, Ultimate Iron Man, both series one and two, one through five for both series, and we're starting Ultimate X Men one through six and half. 
The Explain. Ultimate X-Men, one half. Explain half issues to me. What is this? Like, you, you see this a lot, you know, in Zeros and stuff. Is it just a way to sneak in, like... There's something, um... There was something with Wizard Magazine. I don't know if these are related to those, where they, like, released half issues in in tangent. We'll have to talk about it when we do the comics. I'll have to look it up, because I don't actually remember Because it's kind of like a weird is. little side story, right? Because there's a Spider-Man one half, too. Oh, yeah, we've got it on way later. Yeah. In the run, um, which is interesting. Yeah, we'll have to I'll have to figure out why exactly that is. I don't remember offhand. Yeah. Uh so we're gonna check those out. So let's see. What was our questions? Our question mine was I think we answered mine pretty well, which was like, which ones are we starting with? Why, why choose we, these these characters? And yeah. I mean I think you answered that pretty well of like they're what's popular, right? Like Spider Man, X Men, and then to a degree Fantastic Four. Yeah. Tried and true characters. Would you say in the Avengers? Alongside that question. Would you actually say skip team up if you're getting into the ultimate universe and maybe you're a little strapped for time? It's a little more of a historical curiosity. Thing. Yeah, for sure. If you like, I mean, this is not useful to anyone listening to this because <laughs> we're so deep in at it. the end. Of, well, at the end of this conversation, but you know, well, we maybe are, if you listen first and then we are reading read. like eight more issues of it going on. So yeah, no, I mean, if those are a slog to you, like I would skip those. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I don't think they're bad. They're just kind of they feel unnecessary, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're going to read everything just because we're going to be completionists here. You don't know that they're additive to the universe because you don't know that they quote-unquote count. Right. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, and your question My question was, was, does it hold up 20 years later? Honestly, I don't I don't think there's really anything in USM and Daredevil and Elektra that feels, like, horribly outdated. No, no. I mean, I think at, at best, I would say... You know, at worst, I would say that some of the, like, politics very, very slightly, like, are a little less careful than they would be nowadays. Oh, for sure. Which is good. Like, that's good. I think, like, people would take some of the stuff a little more seriously and, like, maybe Greg Rutka would not be writing the girl power sexual assault story, right? Like... He might be. I mean, he is kind of... He writes women comics. Like He is trusted and known as writing women in superhero comics. Yeah. For good or ill, yeah. I mean, he does I a guess, lot of Wonder depending Woman on your on. opinion. Yeah. No, I, you know, I mean, like, like I said, I don't, I didn't hate him for this. Like, I didn't think he did a terrible job here. But I, I do think you're right. Twenty years later, definitely a writer like Brian Michael Bendis is going to be more careful talking about policing. Yeah, knowing, sure. Knowing the political, climate. and he wouldn't just toss out slut like it was. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, that would have more weight. You know, like at least like if that was going to happen, that would be a moment of like, oh man, okay, like because you honestly yeah. probably can't do that no i I think you could do that if it was wasn't like casual right damning the character right exactly right yeah no i think that would totally be fine if it was supposed to be like taken more seriously i mean it's the same way that you know like slurs for you know people with like intellectual disabilities like the r word or spaz Mm -hmm. get tossed around not the r word but spaz gets tossed around in here like and that's you know whatever that's just evolving of language and like cultural norms and stuff so well, we I, even I, see in 70s marvel comics we've seen racial slurs that yeah, are sure. like seen as acceptable at the time which now would yeah. be obvious like you're all gonna lose your jobs heads stuff. up red man like t- said to your teammate like that you yeah are being nice to right yeah exactly right like <laughs> seen just said casually because it's like oh that's that's how people talk. I, yeah. There's some evolving a language. There's some just like, your they neighbor don't get just, it. I yelled that and your neighbor went, huh? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> I visit for one day and now this is the house where racial slurs come pouring great, from. Great, great. Yeah. 
All right, so that's going to do it for my Ultimate Year Episode 1. Hopefully you enjoyed the read-through of this first round of Ultimate Comics. We're going to be back next month with Episode 2. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you next year. I do it this time, Buster. It's not a year-by-year based. See you next month. Okay, sure. All right. Bye. No, no, you got to see you next month. You already said it. No. You get to do the sign-off. Yeah, but you usually say see you next year, and then I say see you next year. So, see you next month. Oh, so now I follow you. Yeah, yeah. All right, try again. See you next month. See you next month. Oh, that was way too big. I got it.